If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Hello and welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's editorial manager, Danny Crichton, and I'm here today with TechCrunch's Silicon Valley editor, Connie Loizos. Hello. Uh, and Crunchbase News' Alex Wilhelm. Hey, everybody. Also with us this week in the studio is our special guest, Andy McLaughlin, partner at Uncork Capital. Hello. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> uh, another week, another tweet. Elon Musk has once again tweeted at the start of this show, writing, <laughs> and I quote verbatim, just want to that the short seller enrichment commission is doing incredible work and the name change is so on point it's hard to do a sick burn when you when you there's a typo (laughs) can we hear that tweet again with the added word so it actually sounds like english just want just want to that the i I, I, (laughs) just want to say just want to say that the short seller enrichment commission the sec or the securities and exchange commission so elon musk clearly uh, trolling the SEC yet again uh, following uh, last week's development. I just don't get why he doesn't have uh, either more personal maturity or a better team to take away his phone. Well, let, let should we talk about what the settlement was exactly? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It happened in between. So last week when we met here, he had just we just found out the SEC had sort of said, you know, he's going to be banned. Uh, it was it looked, seemed really dire. By Saturday, he you know things changed. Yeah, things shook out. So if I understand the terms of it correctly. Uh, Musk gets to stay the CEO of Tesla, which was the big thing. The company mm-hmm. needs him there because, for better or for worse, he is the public face of the company and is kind of the the soul, if right, you will. Right. Um, he will pay a uh, $20 million fine. Tesla will also pay a $20 million fine. He can't be chairman of the board for three years, and they have to appoint uh, new independent directors and independent chairman. So really a, a broad uh, slap on the wrist that Elon uh, digested for several days. But not a big financial slap on the wrist. This is kind of like the the uh, the stadium in Santa Clara getting fined $1,000 when they run over time. It's kind of nonsensical. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly. like a parking ticket for him. For, it sounds like a lot of money to us, no offense to the crew, but... Well, I think the biggest punishment is that he has, is losing control over his Twitter feed, right? Is this sort of so why... We, we think so, yeah. Okay. So we think there's like a 90 day grace period in which he still gets to tweet, and then the tweets have to go through like a commission or some sort of like internal. Like Tesla PR has to read over yeah. the, the tweets. There have to be procedures <laughs> in the SEC. So he's getting all the good ones out now. Exactly. Before exactly. Exactly. Th- yeah, the good ones. This wasn't a good one. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm using good in inverted commas. Oh, I see. Well, think about it this way: if I had done this tweet or Danny had done this tweet, I would have said privately, "Dude, that tweet was terrible. You should take that shit down." <laughs> it isn't that good of a joke. It's only funny because a billionaire said it. Uh, do some underpaid government bureaucrats, but they don't get burned; they just get mad, right? Yeah. And they put forty million fines on the company. So, yeah. very expensive tweet. Yeah. Well, um, let's hope this is the last time we get uh, punked by the Elon Twitter account as we are finishing <laughs> prep for the show. So, uh, let's talk about um, oh, money. That's right. So, up first is a company that's very near and dear to my heart because it involves flying, something that I have to do far too much. So, Danny, what is the scoop on? Hopper. Uh, Hopper. So um, online travel agencies, so if you're familiar with Kayak or, or Hipmunk or a bunch of others in this space, Hopper really focuses on um, customers who are trying to find flexible travel arrangements. So think like um, you w- know where you want to go, let's say Paris, 
but you're really flexible in either the month or the days or how many days, and you're looking for like the best rates. Um, the startup has actually started to allow you to actually book those tickets, and clearly people are booking a lot because, because the startup just raised another $100 million, uh, I believe led by Omer's, um, uh, uh, the Ontario Pension Service. And um, sources close to the company show that uh, it was uh, valued at about $800 million, Whoa. up from 300 in the last round. That's so, Canadian dollars. Uh, it's a, uh, <laughs> and it, it a billion, it, it is a Canadian unicorn. So it's a billion dollar Canadian company. Is that like a Canadian Like a Canadian, a Canadian corn, exactly. Unicorn. Just a really <laughs> nice unicorn. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just got that. <laughs> it's a, it's a Trudeau, Trudeau corn or something like that. I really um, feel like this shows that we don't talk about Canada enough because that was like four bad jokes in a row, and I like that. That's not that <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's unique because I, I think uh, we were talking before the show. It, it, it's based in Quebec, and uh, it might actually be one of the most valuable startups out of the Quebec uh, uh, province. I, you know, I would guess so. I don't have any data, but yeah, I, mean, I would imagine that a you know a, a, a billion dollar Canadian. Quebecocorn is probably the <laughs> largest, you know, startup out there right now. Um, I think what was notable for me looking at this is, you know, this isn't a business which has been funded by traditional venture. Yeah. So you look at the list of, uh, of investors today, there are none of the kind of big name Silicon Valley yeah. VCs. But, you know, obviously that hasn't been a detriment to its growth. No, no, absolutely. And actually, the, the company's had a long history. I believe, if I, if I recall correctly, it was founded in 07. So yes, it's actually 2007. A, uh, 2007. So it's been around a while. It was funded by um, Atlas Ventures, now Accomplice, um, in the C, and I believe also in the A, but I, I might be wrong about that. Um, but then it has had this sort of really, um, uh, really kind of Canadian growth equity kind of um, investor base in the last couple of rounds. Yeah, so uh, the Series B was led by Omer's, the yeah. uh, group that did the D, and then the C was, um, I don't speak French, so I'm going to totally ruin this. Do you, can you help us out, Andy? Uh, case de dépôt et placement de Quebec. There you go. Uh, which <laughs> I, 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 I have never heard that said afraid. aloud before. I see the name everywhere. And I'm, I'm apologizing <laughs> in advance to my partner, Jeff Clavier, who will totally tear me apart for the terrible pronunciation <laughs> of that. But, but in this room, that makes you a genius. So, um, so uh, that's that was another Canadian-led round, followed by the new Series D, also from Omer's, the $100 million. So quite a uh, um, a domestic, if you will, Canadian creation. Yeah, and an absolute uh, success story. So, I mean, it's great to see, uh, I think in the travel space, we've seen sort of a massive slowdown in, in, in funding over the last couple of years as that sort of matured. Um, you know, Kayak went public five, six years ago. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's interesting to see that there are still competitors coming up and, and potentially doing well in that space. Are there early stage startup companies that are working in travel that you see at Uncork? Are you seeing people still working in this space? Or is Danny right that it's kind of matured a bit and kind of obsolesced, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think the U.S. market is certainly kind of slow. There are enough big players who are well enough funded. I mean, you look at the market cap of, uh, of Booking and that that, um, that organization, and, you know, they are just huge. Mm -hmm. But I think when you look at what's happening outside of the U.S., I know you guys talked about Oyo. Last week, um, there's a business in the UK called Secret Escapes that, for disclosure, I'm a uh, an angel investor in. You know, and they raised a huge round from Temasek last year. So you know, these are great companies that are growing really quickly. It's just kind of outside of our line of sight, so we tend not to think about them. Yeah, what's well, on us then for being out of date? Apparently, because the, the oil round did shock me. A billion dollars to a company that I hadn't heard of before I saw the news. That means I'm not doing my job very well. I mean, I know it's in a different continent, but still, that, that's a lot of money. <laughs> in a different subcontinent. Yeah. Fine. Geography <laughs> boy over there. We're here, we're here I'm in India far jokes. away. Yeah, there you go. It's geography joke day. It's not Sacramento. It's a flight. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, this week was a ZipRecruiter round, which is a company that we tend to hear about on podcast advertisements, but this time it's uh, actually a topic. 
So Connie, yes. what's going on? So I'm realizing, I first talked to these guys about four years ago when they were about four years old. And it's this LA-based company. It's in Santa Monica. And, um, you know, I, I remember being um, sort of taken aback when I met them because they had just raised a $63 million Series A round, which you didn't see four years ago, led by institutional venture partners. So this was its first outside financing. And IVP was, it was a competitive deal because this company was already um, profitable. So I think they're sort of... Um, special pitch is they kind of take services that have been used by Fortune 500 companies in the past um, from like applicant job tracking to sort of you know easy to search databases and they kind of bring them down to small and mid-size companies um, and they also somehow let them um, uh, they can sort of handle it the, the company gives them a customer gives them a job posting they post it across a wide variety of platforms including Facebook and LinkedIn and then they kind of collate these um, applicants and bring them to the hiring company in any case uh, this time the round was bigger the valuation was bigger it was the second round of funding it's 156 million dollars in series B funding this time IVP participated again but uh, the lead investor was Wellington management company and I've heard different valuations, but our own uh, Ingrid London said it was uh, in the region of $1 billion, according to her sources. So I think this one's interesting, um, too, because, you know, there's so many hiring companies. Sometimes it's sort of hard to sort of, you know, appreciate what uh, investors are um, thinking or how they're kind of approaching these different companies. But there have been a lot of acquisitions in the hiring space. Um, this one Japanese uh, HR company, Recruit in particular, has bought Indeed, Simply Hired mm. uh, last year, or was it earlier this year, Glassdoor. Mm -hmm. um, Monster was acquired by a Dutch human uh, resources company called oh, Randstad yeah, a couple of years right. ago. So, I mean, you know, this company is has raised like 200 million-ish now. It's valued at 1 billion. You know, I mean, I guess they sort of I mean, there's obviously people that are buying <laughs> HR companies, so maybe that's the... Well, I mean, the way this comes up a lot in our conversations is mm -hmm. that everyone's trying to hire, especially in and around the tech industry, and no one can because everyone's trying to hire the exact same people. Right. So maybe companies that work in the overall hiring space, the people space, mm -hmm. are seeing a lot of demand because everyone needs more help. I mean, I, I've yet to talk to any startup founder in the last, like, six months who doesn't whine about wherever they're based not being able to hire enough people quickly. Uh, well, with unemployment at the lowest it's been in years... Um, you know, the competition for workers is extraordinarily high. I was in uh, a Mountain View yesterday at uh, Gelato Classico. <laughs> I'm sorry. And uh, the, in, the, in the window now was a sign that said, uh, help wanted, 18 bucks an hour. And for I saw that for, 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 for the Gelato wow, Classico. Wow, yeah. and, and I think it, it just goes to show you how competitive it is to get workers. And I think that puts the value in companies like ZipRecruiter even higher than and they were in the past. And how expensive Mountain View is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mountain View has so much culture and charisma to offer on a day-to-day -day basis <laughs> that why wouldn't you want to pay $9 for Gelato or whatever? <laughs> Andy, what do you think? Are you following the job space? Yeah, so we, we've made a few investments in this area where investors are hired. I have a, a portfolio company called Fountain um, who are in the HR tech space as well. I mean, you're absolutely right. The trend is not going to go away. People need to find workers. And I think it's very easy for us sitting here, you know, in San Francisco to only think about the struggle for talent in tech. But to your Gelato point, you know, people <laughs> are looking to hire all over the place. And any technology that can enable that, I think, is, is going to be really valuable. I think what's also great about this is it's yet another LA-based success story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're hearing more and more about people talking about, you know, being long LA. And I think that with the proximity to Silicon Valley, the, gr the great quality of life, you know, putting aside the terrible traffic, if you can stay 
on one side of town. Right. You know, it, why, you know, why isn't this a terrific place to build a business now? And I think more and more Silicon Valley VCs are getting very, very comfortable with the idea of looking at businesses down there. Whereas if you rewound the clock maybe five years, it may have been a little bit of a harder sell. Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask kind of a rude question about that? Because we've been tracking Snap's stock market declines and kind of woes as a as a as a podcast since they went public before, actually. Um, Does that harm sentiment among VCs in general about the LA scene to see Snapchat struggle or Snap struggle so much as a public company? Or is that now kind of apart from the startup scene and therefore not... Um, casting a shadow on other companies that are going to build down in LA. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, I think you know you, this is still a multi-multi-billion-dollar business, which has produced a lot of wealth for the area and a lot of smart people who are probably going to churn out and start their own things. You know, ZipRecruiter is a is a completely different beast. This is a business that's probably been cash flow positive for a very long time, and you know, and is a real business. You know, when they eventually, I would imagine, IPO, they're going to be one of these rarities of a company that's actually making real money when they go out. Applause. <laughs> well, there were some numbers out this week that the journal covered that I think it's 83, 84% of IPOs in 2018 so far have not been profitable. It's actually now a higher percentage than in the 2000 boom. Right. So we've it's essentially scary. reached the point when making money when you go public is as rare as it should be to not make money when you go public. Right. We actually flipped the entire market on its head and uh, no one cares. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my job to understand these things, it's my job to report them. Well, talking about unprofitable assets. Uh, Coinbase yes. also is rumored to be raising a, a massive round. Yeah, we saved the biggest round for last because that's how uh, how equity rolls. Coinbase, everyone's uh, well, kind of the most blue chip. I want to say crypto company in the United States. If I, I think can. it's the biggest cryptocurrency exchange, right? Isn't it? it it's blue one... chip. I think colored coins were a thing like a long time. ago. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> if, if you tokenize blue chips, I'm sure Coinbase would trade them. Um, <laughs> by blue chip, I mean established, sure. well known, backed <laughs> by Andreessen Horowitz, <laughs> Danny yes. Crichton's. Jerk. You know, <laughs> uh, now, keep in mind, the last two rounds were confirmed kills, right? These are things that are real. This is a rumor that has been confirmed kind of across Axios and Recode, and kind of everyone agrees this is happening. Um, here are the kind of brass tacks. $500 million around there, probably led by Tiger Global, probably at a valuation of around $8 billion. Now, we looked it up before the show, and their last round was about a $1.6 billion valuation. And if they raise $500, it'll be about 2x their total raise to date. In a single chunk. But what's fascinating is that this actually could have been bigger. Uh, we heard that it could have been up to a $12 billion valuation uh, for some other people, and it's been cut back down. So I'm kind of curious, Andy, when you see a startup's valuation kind of drop by a third in that case, is that market dynamics? Is it fear, investor sentiment? What can change that dynamics that quickly for a company looking to raise a large chunk? Yeah, and, and I think you know this, this is not a business who are looking to raise at like one point, you know, 1x or 1.5x their last valuation. Obviously, we're talking about a huge jump up in valuation and a huge jump up in the committed capital. Mm -hmm. But what I think we're seeing here is a, a business which is totally, totally reliant upon the uh, the macro market. And so what we've seen is as people have become more bearish on crypto as a whole, the valuation here has slipped. And that's just making investors perhaps just a little bit more wary of pumping the type of money and uh, the type of valuation that we were talking about before. And I think to your point, I think some of this is to buy out earlier shareholders. Did Ooh. I read that correctly? No, I didn't see that, but that I, wouldn't shock I me. I think so. I mean, again, it makes sense if you're, you know, you invested at, you know, $500 million uh, post money and now it's, you know, going to be $8 billion. So I think Andreessen Horowitz maybe wrote one of the first checks. Yeah, Andreessen I, was famously I, in, the, in the A, I think. Yeah, and then NEA, I know, is a, an, oh no, actually. Yeah, I, think I think initialized will maybe, they may have even yeah, kind of yeah, done yeah. the oh. post YCC round. So, you know, yeah. Oh, oh wow. So yeah, Andreessen was sitting on God, I don't even I can't even do the math the number's so big. And reason was the B, okay. DFJ did the C, 
Bank of Tokyo, Mitsubishi, UFJ did the D, and then IVP, same company uh, firm as before, did the uh, the last D round at 108 million infusion. Okay. Abenomics. Um, yes, Abenomics. In this case, the crypto version of it. Hey everyone, don't forget this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. Well, absolutely, and look, I think um, I think what we're seeing here is it's going to change also for the Bitmain IPO, and we talked about that maybe what two weeks ago mm-hmm, on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same thing. I think it's the same story, which is crypto prices really drive the valuations here. And so, if you're sort of planning the fundraisers for these sorts of story, or you know, for these sorts of companies, uh, you really have to be thinking in advance of you know where are these numbers going to go, and you know how do you time the IPO or the next round to hit at that peak? Because in this case, it was a third loss in Bitmain. It could be as much as a half. Um, on the public markets, and so and that's really an interesting point here. Is you know, why why go out and raise it right now? From what I understand, they've been cash flow positive for a very long time. This is a grossly grossly profitable business. Coinbase, yes, yes. Why not hold out until the markets recover and then go out and raise then? I mean, maybe they see it as a land grab. They just need this infusion of cash to kind of go out and win I, I mean, this market. I feel like we're seeing that left and right. There's companies. Everyone I talk to, they're like, "Oh, we've got money in the bank, but like you know, like let's take it <laughs> while we can." Well, <laughs> You I know, mean, Slack I mean, said that going yeah, back yeah, years yeah. and years and years, and then just keeps raising enormous mm-hmm. checks because they can. I think Slack's just really prepared for like a nuclear winter <laughs> in the startup scene. Um, I, 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 well, please go. I was going to say one question here is why do we think that SoftBank didn't look at this? You know, this feels this feels like this should be right in their wheelhouse. You know, the crazy high price, crazy big check, winner takes all market or winner takes most at least. Why not them? Well, who's going to fund WeWork's losses if SoftBank does it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is SoftBank invested in the crypto space? No, Not, actually, you like, know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, so I had an event last week, which I mentioned, and I had one of the managing directors, Jeff Hausenbold, and he said specifically that they are not investing in crypto right now. Go. They do believe sort of in, in blockchain to some extent, but it's still early for them. You know, they invest in, they want to see, they want to, there's got to be sort of more there there for them. Mm-hmm. Who, who would have thought that the Bank of Japan was going to be more bold in their investment <laughs> strategy right, right, than, than right. Maza-san? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it is, it is. This is now the first time in history, Connie, thanks to you, I actually like the Vision Fund, so thank you. <laughs> Once I agree with them. Um, Disappointing, but uh, to underscore the point about the macro crypto space, there's a quote in Axios from Dan Premack. I'm just going to read it. Quote, their performance right now is pretty tightly correlated to the price of Bitcoin. That's from a Coinbase Mm -hmm. investor. So when you think about the crypto markets, we're reaching the point when year over year Bitcoin won't be up anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, the argument in March of this year was, yes, it's off the December 2017 highs, but it's still up 4x from last year or whatever it was. In a couple weeks, if it stays flat, it'll actually be behind where it was a year ago. So all the companies that are kind of trading off of that as a as a benchmark are going to be in tougher waters. But I guess they want to be sort of like Nasdaq, right, or or the NYSE of of cryptocurrencies. I mean, I think that's the vision. Like everybody's going to have, you know, everything's going to be tokenized at some point, and they want to be, you know, trading all of that stuff. But I mean, Robinhood's doing uh, zero yeah, commission. Sorry, go ahead, Dan. No, I was going to say I think uh, Robinhood's a great example. But mm-hmm. I think I think the question is is how are investors valuing the business? Are they valuing it based on the number of wallets that are open, so the number of accounts from consumers? Is it based off of the currency prices and therefore um, the balance sheet? This is a bit main mm-hmm. problem is that mm-hmm. a lot of their um, customers actually pay in cryptocurrency. So when cryptocurrency goes down, they suffer financially. Or third, like is is the price fluctuations causing trades to happen? Therefore, they make fees. Right, so operationally, they do better in volatility and they make right, more money because of the people coming mm-hmm, in and out. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't know. Maybe you have an opinion, but like, 
Um, I, I don't think it's actually clear how investors are kind of valuing these sorts of businesses. Yeah, I, I think it's really tough. And I, I think with what we have seen, when you look at individual coins, that we've seen massive spikes in prices when people have leaked rumors about them maybe maybe going onto Coinbase. Yeah. So whilst the, the price of Bitcoin might remain flat, I guess their bet is other new altcoins come in, those continue to rise, and that's kind of what they're going to peg their value against. Mm -hmm. Yes, but Coinbase, to its credit, though, really consistent operations this year, I feel like. They solved their customer support problem. They've been rolling out new products. They've been rolling out like, institutional stuff. That The little basket of crypto thing you can buy for like 25 bucks now. I have to say, very impressive company. Well, and lots of talent hires. In the lots of talent mm -hmm. hires. I don't know if it's worth $8 billion. I have absolutely no idea, but I can say it's an impressive company. And if I had to pick a horse... I wouldn't pick someone else. They'd be your blue chip. They would be my, <laughs> my blue chip. Blue token. You already heard first. Um, let's stay overseas and talk about what's going on with Tencent Music, which is going to be a hot IPO after the uh, Spotify drug listing. Damn. Yeah, so th this this is the rare unicorn of a profitable IPO coming out on the market. So, so Tencent Music is the sort of um, independent division of Tencent that is its streaming services, which is a, a, really a conglomeration of four different streaming services. Um, so it's a little complex. But what's interesting here is that um, they're, they're targeting a billion-dollar raise for the IPO. Um, last year, the company's revenue was, was 1.7 billion USD, 11 billion renminbi, um, and most importantly, a $200 million profit um, off of streaming. And what, what's crazy is when you compare it to Apple Music, Spotify, and Pandora, it is truly one of the only profitable music streaming businesses in the world. It gets even better from there. Looking at the first half of 2018, it was $1.30 billion in revenue and $263 million in profit across two quarters. Hot bang. So I don't know, um, I don't follow the company, but from what I've read, part of that money is from socially interactive services. That's, yeah, so, like so a, a large chunk, probably more, maybe 70% of it comes exactly, from non-subscriptions. Yeah. And this is all being driven by uh, by WeChat and we pay. So, you know, I think what these guys are seeing is just a huge bump by being part of this much broader ecosystem in a way that even Apple Music can't contend with. Uh -huh. It also just shows you how different these companies are. You know, you keep hearing there's really, you know, we like to sort of say, well, you know, Alibaba and Amazon, but the, the, the companies uh, in China are really so different. One thing that I think is really interesting and it sounds fun, they've got one business that's um, sort of, what is it? I can't remember reading it. It's sort of like karaoke, yeah. uh, virtual rooms. And I was like, that sounds so fun <laughs> where they're putting people together and, you know, I mean, and the virtual gifts going on, you know, the trading going on there, that's something we don't see here. Um, and that's producing a lot of revenue. Well, and there was an IPO that ended up being canceled um, earlier this summer um, called M17 Entertainment. Entertainment. Oh, and, gosh. Uh, it was yes. the same sort of story, but uh, the virtual gifts to, to creators. So, you know, in, in the U.S., we have Patreon, which is doing this uh, sort of as a subscription. But mm -hmm. um, in China, we have M17 Entertainment. And, and this company, in, in some cases, these, these artists are making hundreds of thousands a month and basically, like, free gifts. Like, think of, like, candies thrown at the artists from their fans. Oh, fascinating. And well, people just are obsessed with throwing more money at, at the people that they love. Well, why did that? Why did that IPO get shelved? It's F1 was nuts. Oh, was it? So it, was it had the weirdest revenue concentration <laughs> I've ever seen in the company. It was like our top 500 users contribute like half of our revenue. And I was looking for the in thousands mark somewhere, but it wasn't. It was actually <laughs> yes, several hundred yes. people in the world were. Power in this company trying to go public. And, and we actually did. know them by name. Terrifying. And yes. I, it, it looked goofy. It looked bad. And then it got pulled. And I was like, thank God. And it really has not come back. And, and what's actually crazy, um, and obviously this is going way off the reservation, but, but China's actually <laughs> cracking down massively on the entertainment industry. So Fan Bingbing, who is one of the top um, actresses in China, was just hit with a multi hundred million dollar tax bill today. Well, after in she the last disappeared. 20, 24, for after, after disappearing. 
Um, and so there's a real clampdown. There's been tax evasion in the industry for years, but um, you know, so a lot of these businesses have sort of gone around that. And now they're sort of in the spotlight again. Yeah, but Jimmy Carr shows that at least in the UK, there's a way through tax fraud and back in the public yeah. eye. <laughs> exactly. Perhaps it will be the same in China. Um, I'm excited about this IPO. But I, I, oh, please sorry, no, no, I was going to say, I think now there have been, I think Renaissance came up with some figures recently this week saying 23 China-based companies have gone public in the US so far this year. And I think that feels right. they've raised like $7 billion. So uh, this is going to be one of the biggest, apparently. But it's still sort of... You're probably you know, second to show me. Yeah, right. well, well, that wasn't a U.S. listed Hong IPO, Kong. though. That yeah, was in Hong Kong. Kong but, but keep yeah. in mind, the, the billion-dollar number in the F1 is a placeholder. Like yeah, companies, you pick either 100, yeah. 500, or a billion just to give it a general range. It won't be that. It'll be something else. Yeah, yeah. I think they're, they really want $2 billion from what I've read. But $2 billion? Yeah. Jeez. Well, it's you know, profitable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's only like... Uh, and, and growing at, what, 50%? I'm trying to do the math here. 50% year-over-year? Year. Lots. Yeah. Many percentage points of growth year-over-year. I don't, I'm very but they haven't. I don't think they've released how many shares they would uh, release. I, so I don't think we know what the valuation is. Do we? No, no, no. We don't. Okay. They haven't put out a, a share range okay. yet or a, or a share. Well, and it is complicated because of the Tencent ownership model here. So it is independent, right. but it's still mostly owned by Tencent. So it's it's and also doesn't Spotify own part of Tencent. And, and they also and own this. Versa, well, so. And what's nuts is actually um, Tencent actually owns like a what was it a, a, a like a do not compete clause in one of those terms. So like Tencent could actually go into certain markets and block Spotify or vice versa. There was actually a really interesting <laughs> yeah. competitive article. Yeah, try that uh, and see how long that contract holds up. <laughs> exactly. um, I, I was frantically Googling this, but I think, I think I'm going to totally go off the range here. I think it's 9% that Spotify owns. I think that's right. There yeah. was, it was right in there. I can't pull up the F1 yeah. in time. Um, but it's and, a and I think and the other owns 7% of it, so it wasn't an equal split. No. And I forget who owns more of which one, but yeah. It's well, who, I, if, if Spotify got more, whoops, because... The other company makes money. Right. <laughs> and, well, and, so, and Spotify's valuation is around $30 billion, So, I mean, If you're again, benchmarking yeah, against yeah, that, yeah. 45 But also, you know, Spotify has recurring revenue, which should be valued kind of higher by investors. Well, you know. Versus, so, versus yeah, one-off yeah. gifting revenue. Yeah. ARR or karaoke? Pick a bet. You want to have both? Um, Pork and Ellis does. All right. Connie, uh, we're going to wrap with uh, some staffing news, which is a bit of a break for us. But what is the dish on the new Oh, so this week I uh, had reported on a new uh, general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the top Silicon Valley venture firms. His name is David Ulovich, a well-liked guy. I had met him about 10 years ago. Um, He had a company called OpenDNS, which sort of helped – um, block sort of t- sites for consumers and ended up getting into the enterprise. C- confusingly, uh, not a DNS provider. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, he, um, his company was sold to Cisco a couple of years ago, and I think he was just sort of biding his time there. He was heading their security business and um, has now joined this firm. What's interesting, um, aside from David as an individual, is the fact that this is the fourth GP general partner that Andreessen has hired since June. So, you know, everybody's raising these mega funds. It's been sort of hard to figure out um, how much they're raising or what they're doing. I think it's been reported that maybe they're sort of leaning into, like, sector-focused funds. Yes. Um, so, in any case, something is certainly brewing <laughs> because well, they are staffing up. Andreessen, for people who don't know, has a bio fund, I think, and also they have a very recently announced crypto fund, Yes, which right. is a kind yeah. of putting I guess bets into one box mm-hmm, as opposed mm-hmm. to the uh, broad funds. Maybe they can't tank their main vehicle by accidentally picking the wrong section, <laughs> like Sequoia and Cleantech. Well, oftentimes I think LPs oh, are... Uh, Kleiner, you mean. Kleiner yeah, and Cleantech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's why Connie is the best person in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I think LPs are increasingly asking for that sort of access. So, you know, they they obviously want to be in the main fund, but um, some of them may have uh, particular interests in PIO or crypto or in some of these spaces, or they need different terms, so like particularly in crypto 
Um, you know, tokens are actually kind of complicated to include in, in sort of crypto the traditional is, LPAs. Yeah, so. crypto especially. Bayou, you can sort of see. But, you know, we've all been covering this industry long enough that we know that, like, sector funds have not really done so well historically. I mean, you just mentioned Kleiner. Kleiner sort of was the biggest example. They had a, a they had like a Facebook fund, or not a Facebook fund, I can't remember. But they've well, they had, had a they've cancer had, fund. They had a, um, the clean energy the clean right, energy right, fund. Right. There was a Facebook fund. Someone did like a $50 million yeah, Facebook fund. fund. Yeah, anyway, sector funds typically don't go so well. Java well, fund. This is why people say put your 401k into a broad index fund right. of all stocks. They don't right. say pick hard industrials. You know, <laughs> like that's, it's not great. That's very cyclical. Um, but on that note, I think we can drop it and uh, we'll see you all in a week. So thank you for sticking around. Sounds great. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and a big thank you to Connie Loizos, our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week. Hey.